You've discovered the MindSpark Learning Podcast. Take education innovation wherever you go by subscribing to the podcast today. Welcome to the latest episode of MindSpark Learning's podcast. Today on Inside MSL, we are going to sit down with our Futures team, which consists of myself, Victoria James, Daisy Martinez, and Britannia Kemp. We will be discussing the inaugural Futures cohort, which just wrapped earlier in May, and we are really excited to bring you some great discussions from our team. So be sure to check us out at mindspark.org, and thanks for listening. So let's go ahead, let's begin. Thank you for that great Uh, introduction, Victoria. So I'm sure our listeners are very curious. Can you tell us about how Futures came to be and a little bit more about the program? Yeah, of course. Um, So Futures is a next generation fellowship for K-12 educators to shape the future. And it really kind of the origin story behind it is that just looking at what the school year 2020-2021 was going to potentially look like in the spring of 2020, given so much disruption, I sort of kind of saw the possibility of a potential future of school that was going to continuously be disrupted. There was hope that things would potentially just go back to normal and there would be in-person schooling five days a week. But just looking uh, looking at the news reports and reading and trying to follow up on, on some of those sessions that uh, Dr. Fauci was hosting, it just seemed as though the school year, you know, after the spring of 2020, the following year was just not going to be the same and that there was an opportunity present in that disruptive era. And I read a great uh, article the other day from the Financial Times that uh, the author said, you know, the pandemic was a portal and gave us a view or a glimpse into certain possibilities of certain future you know, societal constructions that we could explore through this time of just like massive disruption. So got together with the MindSpark team, discussed, pitched it, and then got the green light to move forward uh, to build it and scale it out and was able to connect with incredible groups, uh, school teams of educators who, who also had faith in that idea and that possibility and wanted to use this past school year, 2020, 2021, to explore, experiment, test, prototype new schools, systems, and structures together in a professional learning community that uh, was the first of its kind. So that's just a little bit of background to that to that origin story. One other piece that I will add as well is, I think too, we all know that this past school year was like the most disrupted in recent history. And as an industry, education will be forever changed, but we also learned a ton of lessons. And the opportunity present in that disruption allowed for experimentation with grades, with seat time, with all these maybe more traditional systems and structures that we saw just get thrown out the window. So that was that was a little bit about how futures came to be. And we know that teachers and educators at the classroom level are the closest to their students and have those relationships and are the perfect group to evolving educators. 
I love that the word disruption kept coming up because that's kind of what we were all living in, whether we wanted, you know, there was definitely some positive in the disruption, such as all of the incredible work that came from this fellowship. But yeah, disruptive is a powerful way to kind of capture everything that educators went through in this very hectic COVID time. Thank you for that very brief but informative uh, description, Ms. James. So my next question is for you. Um, Can you tell us about the schools uh, we worked with during this cohort? Yes. So just have to open with the fact that these school teams are some of the most incredible, most inspiring that I've ever had the privilege and honor of working with. They were six teams total, and we required that educators apply as a school-based team so that they would have a support system in their building. They also needed the support of their principal or administrative team to participate in the fellowship as well. And there were four elementary schools, one K-8 school and one alternative high school, and they were located in the majority in Colorado, but one in Louisiana. All were public schools, and they all worked on different issues within their teaching environment. So as I mentioned, one school looked at going gradeless and relying on student portfolios to measure students' academic growth and development. Another school also was inspired by the idea of utilizing and leveraging student portfolios and focusing on the power that they have and the agency that they provide students when they get to self-select work that they think showcases their growth, especially in a year when we've heard so much talk of learning loss and the amount of time or the amount of perhaps regression, academic regression that students have experienced given the closures and the disruption to the schedule in the school year. These projects, these portfolio projects that school teams worked on, I think provided an incredible sense of hope, not only for themselves as educators and in their school community, but for their students as well, because they saw the opportunity that you know some of the ways in which we do school and we educate our students are not responsive and don't serve them. And many of them were designed with, were never designed with them, their students in mind sometimes. So yeah, across all of the school teams, even though they were incredibly diverse in their formulations and then the grades that they served as well as geographically, there was a, a common thread across all the school teams and that, that was, a, was a deep commitment to evolving education to better serve students, better serve the community, better serve our world. Um, and I can't stress enough just how, how inspiring, how incredible the educators and the fellows in the Futures Fellowship Program are. And, you know, we made sure to position the educators as experts in their classroom experiences, because at MindSpark, we believe that that is the most impactful path to evolving educators. Education is through educators. So we learned a great deal from them. And uh, I think they really provided a blueprint. They spent 10 months in a professional learning community, building out a blueprint as what systemic system and structure evolution and change can look like in a K-12 environment. So if other educators around the country or around the world want to say, you know what, we are interested in in perhaps moving away from or, you know, stepping away from traditional letter grades or traditional grading system or traditional standardized assessments, but we don't know how to move forward. These school teams in futures built out a blueprint. They provide a model and an example that can be followed, can be replicated, can be scaled. And I think that is incredibly powerful. And they 
they did it themselves. I think we as facilitators helped guide them on that journey. We served as thought partners. We drew from our own classroom experiences and perspectives. But I think it is such a testament. These educators and the fellows themselves really took this program and ran with it and made it their own. So a little proud if you can't, <laughs> if you can't tell. <laughs> no, very proud of them. Yeah, and I love that all three of us really had the privilege to kind of sit up close or kind of virtually <laughs> and kind of just see how these teams work. I guess the question that I have for you all is what was one of the most memorable or inspiring efforts witnessed by any of the participating educators or the teams as a whole during this cohort? And I'll kind of just start it off because something that has stayed with me was just the sheer amount of effort that and dedication that every single team displayed. And the fact that, you know, this year was an uphill battle and the amount of stress that educators are typically under was only expanded. And to me, their focus on all of their portfolios, their dedication to being great team members and the empathy that they showed for their communities and their students and their families was the most powerful part. And I think that that played a role in their portfolios being so meaningful and impactful. I definitely agree, Daisy most memorable along with, you know, like their dedication and passion and everything. Um, one of the most memorable efforts was their collaboration, all starness, <laughs> for lack of a better word. When we did our sister school pairings, they were they were ready to collaborate and work with each other and bounce ideas off of each other. So I like really appreciate and was inspired by, you know, how willing they were to like work with each other and you know, learn from each other and, you know, build bigger ideas from, you know, working with each other. So definitely their collaboration efforts were very inspiring to witness. Hard to follow. Um, I, I definitely agree and echo uh, what you both shared, Britannia and Daisy. And I think I would add that I th think, like, in America, change happens through coalition. And I think that educators took power into their own hands through this fellowship and decided, you know what, we've all talked about how maybe we're not fans of the way in which we do standardized testing in, in this country, or we're, we're not fans, we think we could be measuring and assessing students' growth, their academic development in more responsive, more engaging, more rigorous ways than, you know, bubbling in a Scantron A through D. But they took, they took, the, the onus on themselves to, to move forward and to do this work and to provide, right, open that door for their students, for themselves, for their colleagues, for their fellow educators, the families that they serve, the communities, and really took it and ran with it. And that was, that was incredibly inspiring to witness. I think to seeing students who were, whose um, reflection videos were featured in some of the school team's portfolio presentations was so inspiring because even in a time of incredible stress and and disruption and ambiguity, students, I think, we got glimpses into the facts that students saw the potential in this work and that they were involved and that their voices were not only included, but honored and valued and affirmed and celebrated in the process. And I think that is such an incredible and inspiring model that can and should be utilized and, and replicated across schools and in our country because so much power was taken away from students during the pandemic. Their lives were turned upside down and 
In some cases, they haven't been together in person since March 2020. So perhaps, quote unquote, going back, right? Normal was never good enough. And we know there was, you know, injustices and inequities built into that previous system and that model. Let's use these school teams, you know, work as as a path forward, as a map to kind of chart the future of education that we want to see moving forward. Daisy, coming to you for this next one, how would you like to see the work of the school team's portfolios implemented on a larger scale? Yeah, like we've all kind of mentioned, we've seen incredible work and it's it's all it was all very tailored to their teaching community and their schools. But for me, something that kind of really stayed with me was the example of going gradeless and relying more on student portfolios to measure academic growth. And, you know, I think that this is this could be a model for a lot of schools and a lot of districts because this is more equitable. It's more it's a more responsive approach to evaluating student growth. And what we noticed when working with this team is that students were really excited about this as well. So the team themselves, you know, they got this incredible opportunity to kind of pitch this model to their district, although they do kind of work in a smaller district. This work, you know, it's tested, it's evidence-based, and it could be a blueprint to guide classrooms, schools, and districts through the much-needed modernization of all K-12 through systems and structures. It also kind of to kind of paint a picture about what this portfolio really looked like. So it's basically creating individualized student portfolios as, you know, student IEPs, but for all students and that, you know, this portfolio can follow them along on their education journey and making them virtual also allows sharing you know, if, if a student moves district or schools, it allows for the new educator to kind of look through their portfolio and get a holistic view of who the student is. And I think that's really powerful. It also creates more student agency because they're able to, you know, have pride in their work and be able to see their growth. You know, I, I imagine a student that's, you know, in pre-K kind of having this follow this follow them along as they kind of get through high school. And it's just a complete body of work that they can be proud of, that they can show others. So yeah, that's definitely something that I can see being implemented on a larger scale. I will say it, it's challenging work, but I think that that's, you know, the power of this fellowship where we can kind of walk educators and help them kind of think through the the smaller, the minutia of, of everything. But I, I think that that is a powerful, innovative way to reinvent something as staple in our schools as grading and, you know, disrupting that because, you know, although it's been done for several decades and centuries, it doesn't have to be that way. For Tanya, so you have a very interesting position because you have not yet joined the teacher workforce. I know that you're you're kind of entering your final year at your university. So I'm interested in learning, like, how can the, the portfolios that we witnessed inform the future of education that we want to see moving forward? you know, ideally post-pandemic, but, you know, what were some lessons learned? What now? Lots of lessons learned, Daisy. Um, <laughs> so one thing that we kind of saw from this pandemic and everything was that, you know, and from like our cohort is that, you know, like the work can be done. Our teams of like three and four teachers were doing what entire like districts and systems have not been doing for years. So definitely 
our cohort showed that the work can be done. And we also saw like lots of flexibility and agility from school systems and districts because of the pandemic. And so that just shows that, you know, we were able to, you know, get rid of those standardized testings or, you know, seat time requirements and everything to fit the needs of our students. So we can get rid of them, <laughs> honestly, um, and, you know, replace them with systems that, you know, work for every student and their needs. And um, again, with the flexibility and agility, we were able to provide students with, you know, the tech that they need and, you know, like a home life balance, you know, they were able to log on to school, you know, a few days a week and then take a day or two off during the week for mental health or extracurriculars. So, we were able to give our students, you know, that extra time to, you know, work on their mental health or anything and not, you know, spend eight hours straight in school, you know, learning. Well, of course, we want them learning, <laughs> but we want them to have, like, a healthy balance, of course. And, you know, like, echoing what you and Ms. James were saying, you know, this was just a blueprint and a great, you know, starting point, uh, first step if you will, first step to, you know, creating a school system that works for all students and, you know, of all backgrounds and all needs and everything. And our school teams, not to, you know, and go right now, but our school teams did very amazing in creating these blueprints for educators everywhere and, you know, innovating their own systems and their own schools to, you know, match our society and our students. So from this... <laughs> I feel like the biggest lesson is that, yeah, we we were able to see what we can do, but that's just the start. This is what we can do, and this is what we will continue to do and build upon. And, you know, when I finally, finally enter <laughs> the teacher workforce, um, you know, I, can, I see the evidence of what can be done and, you know, building on that. Um, and, you know, my colleagues and everything and peers, gonna, we're going to continue to build on this work that you guys have started for us and for um, our K-12 students. Yeah, Bertania, I think you bring up a really good point. I think it's so easy to reflect on this school year and think of all of the, the chaos and the mess and how disruptive it was, not necessarily in a good way, um, but you kind of highlighted a lot of um, some pieces of really good things that happened. And although they were completely different, they did challenge the status quo that wasn't serving students. I kind of just spoke to a little bit about just one example of the incredible portfolios that we saw. Were there any in particular that stood out to you, Vertania, that we can kind of just highlight for our listeners? One of our school teams, JCSA, their portfolio and all of their efforts definitely stood out to me and were very inspiring, actually, because they're already a non-traditional school. They're an alternative school um, in Louisiana. Um, and so, you know, they don't have, you know, those norm normal, quote unquote, normal or traditional, uh, you know, school curriculums and uh, practices and all that. And I found it like very inspiring that they use their portfolio, their portfolio with the Futures cohort to, you know, work around how, you know, they evaluate and assess their students. And they were changing how they evaluate their students based on, you know, like academic success and the effort that they put in 
rather than, you know, their original way of assessing students through like dress code and things like that. So I really appreciate their effort to first be able to like identify that their system was not very productive or working for their students and, you know, being able to, you know, make those changes to like assess their students in a more, you know, equitable and productive and meaningful way than they were before. So definitely big shout out to JCFA and the educators over at that school. And if I can just jump in as well, I think the Crest Academy in Salida, Colorado, their work around field notebooks is incredibly interesting and inspiring because we know that their engagement and participation with nature there is really key and central to the work that they do. And I think perhaps like during the pandemic, folks have remembered again, just how powerful the healing power of nature is. And they have done that with their students since day one, even pre-pandemic, but now really putting, you know, more, more onus on students to go out to engage in the natural world and to learn, use those spaces, those outdoor spaces as as classrooms as well as in the building. And, and they're, I mean, they go on kayaking trips. They talk about how they take students camping and that's all part of the curriculum at the Crest Academy, which is amazing. Yeah, that is incredible. I can I can't even imagine like what it would be like to go to an elementary school and be able to go on these excursions and use nature as you know, my, our classrooms, I think that kids definitely benefit from that. And I thinking about the pandemic and COVID constraints, that definitely was a way to get around that. So yeah, I agree. I think that their work was very innovative and fun, honestly. And I, I know that students really benefited from their collaboration and everything that they were able to put together so that their portfolio could be very successive, very successful and very responsive. Yeah, could not agree more. Thank you both for sharing that. As we begin to sort of uh, wrap up, I wanted to pose one last question to everybody. So Arundhati Roy, who wrote for the Financial Times that historically pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew, that this one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. With that in mind, would love to pose a question for you all. Looking toward that future, we're going to engage in a futures thinking exercise that was developed by Lisa K. Solomon, who is with the Stanford D School, and it's to fill in the blank. So it's the year 2030. Every American public school has, does, or is blank. My first immediate thought is that every American public school is fully funded period. I love that. Yes. And it took no time. (laughs) No, not much time to think about that. But that's such a powerful thing to consider. And then imagine what all of the possibilities that would flow and ripple from from that reality, that future, Daisy. That was a good one, Daisy. (laughs) I would say every American public school has an arts integrated curriculum for all of the grades that they serve, yeah, only because why not make the curriculum more rigorous and everything for our students and allow them, you know, some some mental health relief while learning at the same time. I love that. And just to ask a quick follow-up, Brittany, I know the arts have played an incredibly important role in your life. If I'm a science teacher or a math teacher, like how, how could I 
begin to integrate the arts into my classroom when I'm, I'm more focused perhaps on the STEM side of things. But love the arts, just don't know where to start. The arts, the big thing, you don't have to be an artist to integrate the arts into your classroom. You can definitely start small by just giving your students, um, you know, more agency and, you know, freedom over how they exhibit their learning. Because more likely than not, students will, you know, show their own art, their own artistry, their own talent by giving them that freedom to, you know, explore who they are as individuals and what they like and their interests and everything. So if you have no clue where to start, definitely just start small and give your students that sense of agency um, when it comes to exhibiting their learning. Like, for example, don't give them a paper, you know, give them a prompt and, you know, allow them to work on it however they would like to. And then it's just small things like that. And then, yeah, you can build from there. Lots of resources online, but I won't, I won't get into that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just follow up with the filling in that prompt. It's year 2030. I think every American public school validates, affirms, and celebrates students for exactly who they are. And there is the opportunity, not only taking inspiration um, from Dr. Goldie Muhammad, who is an incredible education researcher at Georgia State, wrote an amazing book called Cultivating Genius. She speaks to not only do students get the chance to learn skills, but they also engage with criticality and intellect and have the opportunity to really examine the world around them. And I think that would be that would be an incredible future to see our schools be those places where every student feels like they belong. With that, thank you all so much for engaging in this conversation today. We know that we could go on and on about how amazing our educators in this program were and the work that they did and how impactful it is. But We also want to take a moment as well just to give a quick PSA, a quick shout out about the 2021 Futures cohort. Applications are being accepted now. So if you are listening to this and you are like, I am sold, I want to apply, I want to be a part of this incredible uh, Next Generation Fellowship, I have a lot of ideas I want to potentially explore and pilot in this program, it is again, completely free to participate. You do apply as a school team of about three to five educators. And it as well provides a $500 stipend to support your portfolio related expenses upon successful completion of the program. So it is is at no cost to you as a participant. Um, If you're interested, go ahead and check out mindspark.org slash futures hyphen 21. Again, that's mindspark.org forward slash futures hyphen 21. And that's where you can find more information about the program, the application as well. And the 2021 cohort kicks off in September of 2021. So check it out. We invite you all to apply and reach out with any questions. My email is victoria at mindspark.org. Daisy, Britannia, thank you both so much for all of your support, your leadership, and your expertise as you supported this program as well. It could not have been done without you. So thank you, thank you. And yeah, thank you again for joining this conversation today. Thanks for listening to the MindSpark Learning Podcast. For more information about MindSpark, visit our website at mindspark.org. 